I did 10 episodes of Baywatch. I fought Michael Dudikoff on the pier. I was a drug smuggler, and I got a call from Rick Young. Isai, you're on TV. You had a fight with Michael Dudikoff. <laughs> and, he, and he bicycle kicked you off a pier into the water. And I was like, Ugh. Hi, this is Mick Tully, and you're listening to Mixed Martial Arts. Merry Christmas, everybody. I hope you're having a wonderful day. Your day's about to get even better. Forget the Queen's speech, forget Coronation Street, and forget you've been framed. Pin back your ears. This is the first part of a two-part interview with the one and only Eric Paulson. We were going down the road on our way to a seminar, and I decided just to press record. Sit back and enjoy the show. It's probably the best yet. We're on the road and I've got two absolute legends with me. I've got Mr. and Mrs. Paulson, yeah, that's right. Eric Paulson. Eric, the master of a thousand holes, right? And Tanya Paulson, probably the most awesome person I know right now. Yeah. So Eric, we were just how did you meet Rick Fay? Hey guys. This is Tanya. <laughs> I met Rick Faye in 1982 at a karate school. I was uh, I was doing point karate at the Coon Rapids Karate Institute, and uh, I just got done training. Uh, we had a class that was um, preparation for everyone's black belts. So in the end, there was a bunch of guys that were advanced guys at the school, and uh, I saw Rick Faye come in, and I said, "What's this?" And they go, "It's a special workshop." does every Saturday or every other Saturday and I said well what is he teaching and they go Jung Fun JKD Kali and I said what is that and I I started watching and at that time I owned the Tao of Jiku Do and I owned all of Bruce Lee's fighting methods and so I started watching and I go oh my gosh this is this is the Bruce Lee system this is a real McCoy yeah this is this is from Dan and Asano. And uh, it was funny because at that time I, I had the book, this one book, and it, I saw the, the Bruce Lee Museum in Santa Ana. And I said, that's California. I've got to move to California if I really want to train. And then I thought, well, if I really want to train and learn, I have to go see Bruce Lee's number one student who continues to teach and train. And he had all these cool instruments and training tools and Focus mats and kick shields and Mach yeah. Johns, which were Wing Chun dummies. And he was uh, based out of Carson or Torrance, California. And so I said, I have got to move L- to L.A. to train that stuff. And I was still doing karate and, uh, and uh, also boxing, Golden Gloves boxing. And I was a gymnast at that time. Right. And so Rick Fay came in and I started watching and he started doing footwork. And I go, oh, he's a boxer. And then he started hitting mitts a little bit. I go, oh, he's definitely a boxer. Yeah. And then I saw him do a little bit of tie boxing. And I went, well, that's unusual. They kick with a shin. Wow, that's that's pretty cool. And then I saw him do, uh, he did all the hand destructions, <laughs> all the Gunting series, all the uh, arm destructions, leg destructions. I go, oh, that's pretty cool. Yeah. And then I saw him do weapons. I go, oh, I'm not into weapons, but I watched him do all the 
the Cinewally drill. Most of the guys had just dowel rods cut. You know, they, they went... Yeah, they brute handles, huh? Yeah, they went to their closet and cut their their, uh, their dowel rod from their closet where they hang all their clothes on. They cut it in half right. and created these two collie sticks. And they were doing Cinewally drills. And and when I after I saw that, I was like, that's pretty cool. I think that's it. I think I'm done with karate. I think that's what that's my <laughs> yeah. I need to go train with that guy. Most people, most people are like that, aren't they? Yeah. Well, yeah. Well, to see him at that level to do that, I was like, wow, that guy's so smooth. And uh, all of a sudden, I just went, you know what? I think I'm gonna quit karate because that's what I want to do. So it was right then is when I I literally quit karate and uh, started showing up at his school. And he thought because of my because of my uh, feathered hair. Uh, and, and I had a girlfriend that time. She had blonde feathered hair. Uh, he thought him and Rick, him and Rick and Greg thought that that was my sister. So they're right. like, Eric's got a really cute sister. Hey, you should bring your sister more often. And I get so mad. I'm like, that's my girlfriend. And they're like, oh yeah, it's your, we think it's your sister. Uh, and so one time I showed up early to his class and I was watching. And I remember watching, and him and Greg Nelson were sparring. They had the, all the hockey equipment on, and they're doing stick sparring, and then they're going clinching to ground and to ground and pound and to grappling. And what year was this? Uh, probably 82, 83. Wow. And they're just beating the shit out of each other. I go, holy crap, that's cool, I gotta watch. Yeah. And Rick goes, hold on. And he runs over and shuts door he goes he goes step back and step back and goes shut the door and he shut the door and he goes uh, we're not open yet we're, we're training so we're not open so they kicked me out and I just stand outside they, they, they made you stand outside yeah they kicked me out wow and I went in there so I was standing outside in the hallway in this old building in Minnesota on uh, I think third avenue or third third street and, uh, and what grade were you then I was, uh, I think I was a junior in high school. Right, okay. So what level were you in karate? Well, I, was, I, was getting ready for, yeah, I was getting ready for my black belt. I, I had trained in karate for 12 years at that time. Jeez. And then I did uh, Golden Gloves boxing from, eight, from eighth grade all the way up until that. And I had competed a lot in karate tournaments. Full contact was, was uh, at that time becoming famous. So I started fighting in full contact tournaments and then uh, point tournaments, and then also boxing golden gloves, and competing at a pretty decent level in gymnastics uh, in high school. I was the captain of my gymnastic team. Really? And, and so I competed against Greg, and I looked at him, and I go, I know that kid. I know that little kid. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, yeah, and right. He, he, had a, he had a toe head. He was a blonde-haired kid <laughs> yeah. with huge lats. And uh, I go... I compete against that kid in gymnastics. He, I know who he is. He's a wrestler. And they go, yeah, he's wrestling at the University of Minnesota. So that might, maybe it was 84 because I remember uh, if he was at the University of Minnesota because he graduated in 83, so that had to be eight, probably 84. Right. But then I watched Greg and I watched him. Was Greg, Greg, Greg got you into wrestling? Uh, no. Or had you wrestled before? No, my brother was a wrestler. But right. I did judo. Since uh, fourth grade, I started judo. And I competed in judo for like probably about three or four years. Right. And uh, I competed. Uh, 
my, my coach, his name was Osmo Milan. And, uh, and then also I took it in fourth grade in elementary school. And I loved it. I competed. And my first medal I got is from 1976. It's a karate guy standing throwing a sidekick, but it was a judo trophy. They didn't, have, they, didn't, they didn't have judo trophies back then. They only had karate trophies. Wow. So when did you first get interested? Because obviously like everyone knows, you know, you're primarily known now you know, for, for you know, your CSW system. But when did you first really start delving into the arts, like, like the grappling arts, in real deal detail? Well, well see for Rick, see for Rick Faye, uh, was a big advocate of, of implementing the grappling and uh, Sifu Larry Hartzell uh, was a great friend of Rick's and he used to bring Sifu Larry in and, and, and I hit it off with Larry. I went to a camp. I went to the uh, mid-Michigan, Dan Timlin's mid-Michigan camp and uh, I sat with Greg and Rick and listened to him tell jokes the whole time. They were like the only two guys that would that were training really hard that were actually telling jokes and laughing. Yeah. And I fit right in because I was like laughing along with them and I got all their humor being from Minnesota. Yeah. And, and then uh, and then Sifu Larry grabbed Rick Fay out in the field and started doing a wrist lock flow on him <laughs> when he was teaching and I looked at Rick and he had tears in his eyes. Yeah. He, he, because he would tap and as soon as he would tap that's when Larry put the locks on. <laughs> wow. Yeah, we were yeah. in the dirt it was cool. Larry had some Focusmith stuff he did. It was pretty cool. And, and I think I was attracted to the fact he was a badass and he, he, was, he loved to fight. He was a real McCoy, wasn't he? Yeah, he, he, he loved to drink beer and get in fights. And I, I think that aspect attracted me for some reason. <laughs> Not because I wanted to be like, but it was just like, wow, that guy's a real guy. You know? yeah. and, uh, and then when I remember, what, I remember when Guru walked in, I was like completely amazed. I sat there and stared at him because his aura was like golden all around him and I'm looking yeah. at him going wow he's like an angel sent down from heaven to teach people martial arts that's what I thought yeah and he started talking and I was like holy crap I knew that's why I wanted to go to California I'm destined to go to California and train yeah. with this man but I was very fortunate because Rick Fay is the man yeah he's trained and created so many great martial artists and his love and passion for the art is so spectacular, and the fact that he he's a major philosopher. Uh, he should have 50 books out by now. He's yeah. got 50 books, but they're not completed. He's got them all halfway done. Wow. I mean, he literally probably has at least, from what he told me, about 30 different books that he hasn't completed yet. Yeah, he's one of the most uh, knowledgeable guys I know. Like, guys, I know this is a different podcast than normal, because normally we're sitting down, but... The first idea I got for doing podcasts was because Anthony McGinley, the tech like the tech wizard who's behind all of this, Tanya, you don't know this, but he sat in the car with us once and he just overheard myself and Rick on a road trip and he said if somebody recorded that, everyone yeah, would listen to listen. it. And it's like we're, we're doing it again, but it's like, yeah, Rick's one of the most formative men in my life, not just in martial arts, but he's one of the most selfless people I know because if he... If you didn't have such altruistic tendencies, yeah, I think, sorry Rick, to break this to you, but you'd be a really, really successful businessman. But you wouldn't have a load of people that love you because the minute he thinks that there's somebody out there who's got what you need or there's somebody that's maybe more informed than he is to give you it, 
not only does he, he, he send you in that direction, and sometimes he might give you a kick in the seat of your pants to get you out. Yeah. You know, and he, he's just unbelievable. So, how long were you at the Carly Group or in Minnesota training? Well, I moved uh, so in, in 1986. So I went to California in '85. Yeah. To Palm Desert, Palm Springs, and I wanted to check it out. And it was such a shock because I went in the middle of winter time for spring break. I was going to junior college, uh, Nupa yeah. Ramsey. Nupa Ramsey College is right down the road from my house, and I went there and I went, you know. So nice. I remember coming back and everyone goes, man, you have a nice tan. Where were you? And I was in California. And they're like, no way. You went to California? I go, yeah, palm trees and oranges every day. Avocados and uh, uh, tortillas, uh, home and handmade from all the Mexicans that I stayed with. Yeah. My uh, Some of my family were authentic Mexicans from... from uh, Guadalajara and different areas. Uh, my, my aunt had married a, uh, a man and, and his family. They used to make authentic Mexican food, which was spectacular. Yeah. Even just thinking about it today makes me want to. Yeah, I want to have some tortillas. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> no, let's go chimichanga later. Some, some nachos. But uh, in the meantime, I went to Palm Springs and I just I was like, wow, I think I think that's where I need to be, California. I think I can fulfill my dreams. Uh, at the time, when I moved there, I was a model. Uh, don't tell people. Uh, but I was doing a lot of modeling work and uh, commercials. So I wanted to do commercials, modeling and commercials. And then, and then when I started doing that in California, I started getting hit on by all these guys. Oh wow. And I said, you know what? I think I'm doing the wrong thing because I'm getting hit on by the wrong crowd. Yeah. So next thing you know, I go... Maybe I'll go into movies. So I started taking acting classes. And again, I started getting hit on by a lot of guys because of my blonde feathered hair. Yeah, that, that's it. And I, I do it every time. Blonde, blonde head, and, and, my gym, and my gymnastic build. Yeah. And so, so next thing you know, I'm like, well, if I'm going to do movies, I better just... So what part of movies could I do where I wouldn't get hit on by guys? And this guy goes, stunt work. You should be a stunt man. And I go, you know what? I, that's a good idea. So next thing you know, I hooked up with David Bradley. Right. Uh, he was a friend of mine, and he was doing American Ninja. Yeah, yeah. And so he said, hey, do you want to be my assistant and go down there? And I went, really? And they go, yeah. So I was a bartender at this bar, and his girlfriend worked with me, and I met him, and we hit it off, and we trained together, and he goes, I'd like you to be my assistant. Come down and help. So I kind of got into doing some stunt work and some fights, the choreography and some fight fight scenes. So I, I was the only blue-eyed ninja in American Ninja 5. <laughs> uh, got my shoulder dislocated from a from a high fall. Really? Yeah, I, I got well, I got thrown and I landed on the on the ground, on the hard ground and uh, I didn't tuck right and so I, my shoulder dislocated. And I was working with Tadashi Yamashita and he goes, you need to move your arm. The only way to get your arm better is to move your arm. He took my arm out of the sling and just moved it in a circle. So that's she on machine today. Yeah, yeah, my arm right. got better. My arm was better, and in two days I was punching and kicking. Them. What What are the movies? Do? I know, you, every, guys, you're listening to this. You'll know because I've mentioned it before. Uh, 
two weeks ago we interviewed Van Damme, he was awful, and I didn't really like Bloodsport, but Bloodsport 3 was an awesome movie, wasn't yeah. it, Eric? Yeah, I was in Bloodsport 3, but Van Damme wasn't in there, it was Daniel no, Bernhardt. It was Bernhardt, yeah. But I, I did have an interview with Van Damme, he saw my videotape, my demo tape of all the different martial arts and throws and submissions. Right. He said, that doesn't exist in Hollywood, I would like to bring you in because it's, it's very new. And uh, I would like to learn some of that stuff and have a good, some good fights with you. Right. And so I got, uh, I went in as on an interview for the movie The Quest, and he actually told me he wanted me to be one of the Swedish fighters. I needed to do my research. So I started researching the Swedish fighters back in the early days, in the early uh, late 1800s, early 1900s. All the early Swedes wore pilgrim-looking clothes with the high knickers and the hats and the big belt buckles. And I was like, uh, maybe we could change the time era. Yeah, I, not, yeah. I don't want to fight as a pilgrim. No, no, certainly not. So, Mayflower straight yeah. into a fight. <laughs> so, anyways, um, that I was in Japan fighting, and they started filming, and I lost that part. And they hired one of my friends instead, Stefano's was uh, one of the fighters in that. He got hired and a couple other guys. So, and What other movies did you mean? Uh, I did Baywatch. Uh, really? Ten episodes of Baywatch. I fought Michael Dudikoff on the pier. I was a drug smuggler and I got a call from Rick Young. I posted that. Rick Young goes, Really? Hey, I just saw you. You're on TV. You had a fight with Michael Dudikoff. <laughs> and, he, and he bicycle kicked you off a pier into the water. And I was like, Oh, I didn't know you were uh, Yeah, I had, I had a couple. I had some really good fight scenes. We're also uh, two fighters in a tie fighters in a ring. Chad and I fought each other. Uh, that was the initial one, and then and was then, that Chad Stahowski? Yes. All right. Yeah, we had a tie boxing fight. It was in a in a ring uh, with Kamel Shalarus, who was one of the guys, and he he ended up being Tong Po and kickboxer. He was Tong Po. Michael Kesey. Is it my uh, well, Kissy or No, it was, uh, well, Kamel. 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 Right. Later on, it was Kickboxer, I don't know what one it was. It was Kickboxer 2, 3. And Burt Richardson was working on there. And right. Burt thought that I brought Chad. No, the, he thought that Chad had the part and brought me on Baywatch. Yeah. But I got the call at the Inasano Academy. They go, yeah, we want uh, Eric James. Because I'm a... For my picture, I used my middle name, so it was Eric James, not Eric James Paulson. Yeah. Not Eric Paulson, it was Eric James, so I used my surname because I was getting lots of calls as Eric Paulson for fights at that time and also for private lessons. So so I said, well, if, I, if it's acting and they call and they say, well, we need to talk to Eric James, I knew it was an acting job. Yeah. So I used that, and then all of a sudden the Baywatch called the Inasano Academy, and they go, yeah, we need to talk to Eric James. This is the production op from Baywatch. And I remember Damon looking at Chad and goes, who the hell is Eric James? And I go, oh, that'd be me. And those guys were so pissed. They're like, ah. Oh. Because Damon, Damon Caro, Damon and Chad, are, they're doing really good. And Dave Leach. Yeah. These guys are. They're, they're doing spectacular. Those yeah. are all my training partners. Dave Leach, uh, director, uh, stuntman, choreographer now. Chad, same thing, stuntman, choreographer. And now director, John Wick 1, John Wick 2, Dave Leach did John Wick 1, da- uh, Damon, they were all part of 8711, then they split, David, Damon Carroll just did Superman, and Superman versus, uh, he just did Batman versus Superman, and... Uh, now, Damon did? Y- yes. I didn't know that. Yes, he did. Right. And then also, uh, 
the, the Avengers uh, was part of uh, some of the things they did, The Matrix, uh, Hunger Games, uh, and then uh, now the Aquaman, and, and uh, they're working with all these guys. So it's those guys are the number the number one guys in Hollywood in the stunt industry, choreography, and directing industry. Uh, they've really made paved their ways to success, and I'm really happy to know and say that. And I've actually got one of my guys, one of my black belts. Uh, his name's Eric Brown. Has actually helped choreographing John Wick One and John Wick Two now. Wow! So there's a lot of good CSW stuff, and a lot of the throws, uh, Japanese judo, a lot of sambo, a lot of catch wrestling, a lot of the CSW stuff. Yeah. The combination um, combo package is it, 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 crazy because. Just when, just when you thought you know that choreography had been turned on its head, you know, with the Bourne movies and Jeff Amada's influence there, and Damon and, 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 John, and well, Jonathan yeah. Eusebio, those guys worked with him. Yeah. But what happened is it, it's going through flavors, so it became kind of a Chinese style with all the high fast kicks and the barrel rolls in the air and all the really cool acrobatics. And now what they're going to do is they're bringing back in the Japanese-style jiu-jitsu, which is all nerd point hits. Yes. With all the throws, with the quick kill submissions, CSW-style. And uh, so a lot of the moves that, that I, I trained Jason Statham for uh, probably a couple months, and I gave him about 35 techniques, combo techniques, with throws straight to submissions. And then, right. and then what had happened is um, he was working on some things, but... Uh, they were waiting to do a series, and the series ended up being John Wick, and they ended up giving it to Keanu. So all the moves that we touched, uh, Jason, Jason ended up a lot of it, and a lot of that training ended up going to to Keanu Reeves. So I went down one day to help out, and, and I helped choreograph uh, the Man of Tai Chi, the f- big long eight minute fight scene. Right. Uh, with the tie, that was that was me and Chad. Uh, I. I put a ton of stuff together and they actually kept it it was an eight minute fight scene wow Chad put it together but I gave him all the moves and then uh, uh, let's see what else I worked on Never Back Down with Jaiman Hunzu. I choreographed all of his fight scenes right uh, all, all of his martial arts for the fight scenes I, I wasn't the choreographer chore, I'm sorry the choreographer for the fight in the movie I did it right before all the prep work that's John Michael right uh, now, now it is. He wasn't part of the first one. Now, right. now Michael J. White is is uh, in, the, in the third one with Josh Barnett. Now Josh and him are in Thailand fighting each other. Right. So Josh is in the in the third one acting. Josh made his acting. Not well. It's not actually his debut, but for a bigger movie, it is. Wow, that's awesome. What? How did you find Jason Statham physically? Was it? It was his? great. You could show him the move one time, and he, the next time. He, he did it. He, he had the move. Yeah, because yeah. I fastest learner. One of the fastest learners. Really? <coughs> Who, who's the best? Who's the best star you've ever had to work with? So, well, when Jaiman Hunzu picked things up, he, I told him when he was done acting, I, I could actually train him for a couple fights. Really? Yeah, because he hits really hard. I said, if you're ever interested to fight, I go let me know because I, I know acting doesn't pay enough money these days. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's only a part because there's way more money to be made in the UFC than than, than doing that. Was, what was what was John in? He was in a who? Twelve was it? Twelve Years a Slave. Yeah. What was the movie? He did? That was one he did recently. Uh, well, was it? Uh, he did. Was it Amistad? Uh, yeah. Yes, and uh, also uh, Blood Diamond. 
Blood Diamond, yeah, yeah. Yeah, but he's physically... Gladiator, else. Gladiator. He was in Gladiator. He was, yeah. He was, yeah. One, yeah, one of the fighters in Gladiator. I'll tell you something. You ever look at Gladiator, you just go, right, okay, my money isn't on Russell Crowe. My, uh, my money's on the big German dude. Yeah. Or the big African dude. Yeah. It certainly isn't on that Kiwi. Yeah. Uh, it certainly isn't. Right, he, so... Hey, he's Australian. Is he Australian? Yeah. Who's New Zealand, though? Uh, uh, Russell Crowe? Russell Crowe, yeah. I thought he was Australian. I don't know. I certainly won't argue with you on that. Yeah, we won't. We'll uh, we'll have to delete that part. Uh, just no, no. Well, hey, Russell Crowe, if you're listening to this, the only the only great story I know about Russell Crowe is he did a movie called Mystery Alaska where he played a hockey player, an ice hockey player, and he was in the bar talking nonsense and talking shit about how Australian rules football was a tougher game than hockey. So a couple of hockey players decided to prove to him that hockey guys were pretty tough too, and he got into a bit of a fight. You're an actor, you should stick to acting, you know what I mean? So, Eric. Well, the thing is, he's a tough guy. I mean, Russell Crowe is a tough guy. Yeah. yeah and, and, you know, the Aussies are, are ready to roll, ready to fight all the time anyway, so. Yeah, yeah. Right? They're ready to kick off. That's what I noticed, it's like, they're, they're good for a go. They, they are, they're game, yeah. They're definitely game, they're definitely game. So, I'll tell you what, if you don't mind, Eric, we'll talk about your fighting career because. You were doing MMA back in the day. You still had a ponytail in a couple of your fights. Well, I had a ponytail back when ponytails were in. Hey, man. If you have a ponytail today, you're probably not in. But it was in back then. And the thing is, is I, I said, if I if I don't really... I, I forgot what the choice was, but I was like, you know what? If I don't have to cut my hair, there's no reason to. So I let my hair grow long. So Chad and I and Burt Richardson and Richard Citroni, everyone had ponytails. <laughs> Really? Yeah, we had long hair because that look was in back then. You yeah, know, it, was the a grunge, it was a grunge look. Yeah, the, the that look kind of came in, and and so I had that, and I went into Japan, and they were like, "Holy crap, these guys look mean!" And so I was the first American to fight in judo in Japan in 1990, end of 92, early 93, before the first UFC. Yeah. I fought an MMA fight in Japan along with Chad, and so. And then I went to the first UFC. I tried to get in the first UFC, and they said, well, you train with the Gracies. Uh, you can't fight in the UFC. I tried to get in as a shoot fighter, but they said, you'll fight Hoist. And I said, well, uh, I won't fight Hoist because uh, I was still learning jiu-jitsu from Hoist, uh, Horian and Hickson, and there was no reason why I would be so stupid and rude to uh, ask someone to teach me and then turn around and challenge them for a fight, like Jason DeLuca did. Right. Jason DeLuca actually challenged Hoist, walked in, got beat, and then he trained, he befriended Hoist, and Hoist took him under and started training and teaching him, because he said, I have to learn the style, and then he turned around and, re- and he re-challenged Hoist. Wow. So when Hoist cut that arm bar, it was, I, it well, was he, yeah, but he waited till DeLuca really pushed hard, and then Hoist put it on, and it was on, and then he, I, I know there's a little hip-hop in there just to, to make a point. Yeah, and he popped that arm. But it's like, what, what would you do if you had it? If you beat a guy, I mean, if you don't, if you armbar someone and you don't rip their arm and hurt their arm after they re-challenged you, then they'll just turn around and say, oh yeah, he barely armbarred me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But if you actually pop his arm, now he'll remember you for eight months or a year because his arm's going to be hurting for eight months and a year during his rehab. And especially when it's cold. 
Yeah. Every winter morning he'll remember Hoist Gracie and that challenge. Especially when it's damp and cold. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I do love the story about the UFC because I remember you telling me uh, because you called in maybe to do some train up one of the guys. Well, I started, I was trying to get on the UFC and at that time I, I couldn't. And the, there were rules, the rules were you could fight any weight and it was still kind of a tournament. Yeah. And there were no gloves. Until later on, and, and somebody asked me, what would it take for the UFC to become huge? And I said, sanctions, weight divisions, and gloves, and yeah. rules, rules, and great promotions. And sure enough, they obviously did all that, and they became huge. Yeah, the fastest growing sport in the world right The now. thing is, is they needed to put gloves on. Yeah. Uh, because all the cuts and the injuries, and then take out the headbutts. Yeah. Still allow the elbows, still allow the knees, don't allow the head punts. Yeah, Although they, that would still be kind of cool if they had those. Yeah, they. And I think I think liability-wise, it would be hard to ensure a fight when you're allowed to soccer kick guys in the head. Well, that, you know that's what, what was going to lead me on to this because most new MMA fans don't realize just how big pride was, and more importantly, how brutal. Now that was fucking something Well, else. here's a weird thing. Here, you fight in pride. You hit the ground. You're not allowed to headbutt. You're not allowed to elbow on the ground or stand, and you were, you were pretty much not allowed to elbow. Maybe you were. I don't remember. But anyways, uh, but on the ground, you could soccer punt. I mean, come on. All right, so why wouldn't they, why wouldn't they say, okay, special match in the UFC. You guys are allowed to headbutt and soccer punt. I'd love to watch that. Yeah. I would love to watch where they allow the soccer punt and they allow uh, they allow the hair pulling. No, I'm kidding. The hair <laughs> they allow the soccer punt and they allow the elbows and the headbutts. Well, they, you know, this is the thing. If you look at it now, right, if we went back, go back in time and we're going to get some of the guys say... Well, I fought in bare knuckle and they allowed the headbutt, the foot stomp, the knee to the nuts. You could knee the nuts. Uh, it wasn't even established. You could probably reach under and grab their balls at the time, but this was in Shuto. No, this was in uh, in the World Extreme, WEC. Yeah, WEC. Yeah. Yeah, it was a bare knuckle fights, and it was a tournament, so you had to fight back to back if you won. How, what, how many fights? What I had two fights. fights I had two fights back to back. I fought Sean McCauley and James Waring. And the thing is, is I I had long hair and I bunned my hair up because I had a movie part. I actually didn't even want to fight. I went up for the movie part as a commercial, and they said, holy crap, you guys are great. You guys look good on the ground. Do you guys ever fight? And I pointed at Chad, and he pointed at me, and we started laughing. And we beat Timac. Timac? We beat Timac out for the part, for the lead part for the commercial for the World Extreme Fighting. Wow. Or the WEC, or what was it? Where was that going? Timac is still doing movie stuff. Is he? And yeah, Ron, I love the last strike. Ron, Ron Van Cleef is back on the mat competing in jiu-jitsu tournaments now at yeah, 65. Yeah. And he still has nice, super nice hair. <laughs> he does have great hair. you got to give the Black Dragon that, man. That guy's... He's still rocking the Carl Lewis flat top. Yeah, he looks good. Yeah, yeah. He, he, you know, he thinks it's 1984 in LA doing the Olympics. But he still looks good, so... In the meantime, uh, there, there's your, there's a little uh, insight for you guys. 
uh, I don't know, at 65, if you really want to be kicking tie pads and sparring so much like that, but I guarantee you, uh, you can stay on the ground till you're 90 years old and roll with people. Yeah. I, I was a witness in Japan during the fight, and I watched two Japanese guys w barely walk into a, the uh, Kodokan, bow to each other, and it took them about a minute to get down to the ground. And once they got on the ground, they smiled and they they uh, shook hands and they rolled for three straight hours. They rolled for an hour and a half and I went and got lunch and I came back after I got lunch and they were still on the mat rolling and laughing the whole time. Wow. And uh, and I just thought, wow, there's there's the his there's the future right there. You could be as old as you could be and still be on the mat learning. And these guys were like old school judo legends, like Kimura and the, and some of the older men. And they're just out there doing the Kosen Judo, which is the ground judo. Yeah. It's called Kosen Judo. Kosen. Kosen. K-O-S-E-N. Kosen Judo is the Nawaza Judo that was kind of lost, but a lot of the uh, British uh, judokas still have it. I know at the Edinburgh Club, all those guys are really great on the ground. Yeah. A lot of the guys still do a lot of the Nawaza. Uh, in America, it's more Tachiwaza, more throwing. And, and not much emphasis on the ground because that's when the referees break the fight. So they yeah. really, really work on their throws, and they don't hit the ground so much. Yeah, but you see, you. You've but I do, I do know that Jimmy Pedro and uh, Mike Swain both are great on the ground because Jimmy Pedro came in, and and Jimmy, I said, hey, I have uh, fight practice today. If you're interested to come on the mat, and Jimmy's from Boston. Jimmy Pedro goes. Uh, gi or no gi? I go, well, it's no gi. It's fight practice. I, he goes, punching? I go, no, I'll grappling. He goes, I'm there. Really? And I watched him go through Cub Swanson's guard like 50 times. And just him and Josh went toe-to-toe -to -toe, uh, with no points scored uh, for probably almost 10 minutes. Really? Yeah, Jimmy Pedro's a total stud. He was a wrestler first, and then he learned judo. Yeah, because so well, everything how applies. How did he do in the Olympics? Uh, I'm not sure. I know I was there when he won the worlds yeah. in Birmingham. Really? Yeah, I was there. I watched him. Yeah, he's, uh, you see a lot of the lot of the judo guys are. It, it's starting. To, it's starting to make a, a resurgence, and there's a lot of judo guys like Ray Stevens who have gone into the BJJ, and it hasn't been the judo hasn't been swallowed up. You know, they they've they've still able to work both sides and if anything well, it's just enhanced that I game. think um, I think you need to learn to wrestle and you need to do judo both I think the combination of the two I, I don't think one over the other yeah uh, you know I think uh, well a lot of the a lot of the guys are really good at throwing some guys are notorious for throwing some guys are notorious for for all their takedowns but I think the ability to do uh, low singles sweep singles high crotch singles and doubles double legs and then, and then use all the throws, the foot sweeps, the arm spins, the arm throws, the hip tosses, the Haraya Goshis, uh, the Osotos, the Uchimatas, uh, to apply that and then add the suplexes to that from Sambo, uh, all the saltos, belly to belly, belly to side, belly to back. Man, you've got a pretty good throwing art. You have. Take, great takedown art. And then, and then take it to the ground and now start adding neck cranks Start adding leg locks, start adding wrist locks, start adding chokes, uh, gi chokes, obviously. Uh, start adding all the arm locks, the bent arm locks. Now you've got a pretty pretty complete system. That's a formidable guy. Yeah, someone who can do all that, they're formidable. What's, 
your favourite, if you had to, if you had to pick one art from the from the grappling arts, what would it be? Well, I love jujitsu, I love judo, and I love catch wrestling. So, I think the combo of all three mixed. I, I love sambo too, uh, but I think. Uh, I think for fighting, as far as for fighting, if you look at most jiu-jitsu guys now, they all have wrestling coaches. Yeah. A lot of them act like, oh, it's all jiu-jitsu. But if it was, then it'd be all, all from your back, and you wouldn't be on your knees, you wouldn't be trying to scramble and wrestle. You would actually be uh, doing more from your back. So I, I believe that a lot of the guys are cross-training. If they say they're not, most of them are lying because you can see it well yeah they, they have wrestling you have to the mentality of wrestling is an attacking system yeah. so it's like two of the best American martial arts are boxing and wrestling because of the aggressiveness and because of the fact in a boxing gym you just walk in and you get the snot kicked out of you every single time and that makes you tough it's called the school of hard knocks yeah. and the same with the wrestling <laughs> same with the wrestling room you walk in a room and you get taken down over and over and everyone's there to take you down and pin you so the whole thing is their ability to grind they embrace the grind yeah. the grind the ability to go and go and the determination and the willpower and the and the uh, relentlessness of uh, not giving up and, and, and then the, just the pressure factor, adding that to the ground game, um, changes the ground game. Yeah, it, well, you, you, it's, it's funny you said that. I was going to wear a sweatshirt today that's got School of Hard Knocks written on the front of it. School of Hard Knocks. Yeah, it's, you, you see, there's, we talk, we, we've talked about it before, about how the one thing about the grappling arts is there's no real hiding place. It's the same as Thai boxing, done correctly, and boxing, where, you know, you can hide in, a lot of other, like, a lot of the fundamental, uh, more traditional arts where there's a real dogmatic approach, you can hide it, you can get there, you know, you can get to a real high level, but well, never ever test it. Well, what I, what I think, I like the combination, that's why we created the SDX system, it was actually the Inasano blend of kickboxing, where we, yeah. used, we, we had uh, high quality, high level boxers coming in, training us in boxing. High-level Muay Thai guys training us in Muay Thai. Savat, we had Grand Cup champions coming from France. Then we had uh, uh, the Shudo. We had uh, Yuri Nakamura, Sensei Yuri, coming in and teaching all the, the striking from Shudo, which was totally different. And so to combine those together, now you've got a, a hybrid blend that most people don't know about. And then also adding the kicking from Taekwondo and, and Power Karate, Kyokushin. Now you got all the ability, uh, the uh, high kicks, the fast kicks, the spin back kicks, spin hook kicks, and then the power kicks from Muay Thai with the teeps, and, and the front snap kicks from, from uh, Taekwondo, and then the, the ability to move from Savat, or the ability to just stand your toe-to-toe -to -toe and go uh, slug it out with your boxing. Yeah. Uh, makes a, a very, very good uh, combative kickboxing system. As far as the ground, I combine as much as I possibly can. It doesn't matter if it's a leg lock or a choke or a neck crank or an arm bar. Uh, I believe if it's, if it's grappling, if it's a wrist lock, a uh, finger lock, if you're a grappler, you need to learn every, embrace every grappling art. If you're really a grappler, don't just be, I'm a purist. I don't do neck cranks because I only do jujitsu. Well, it's funny because one of the first neck crank I was ever taught was from Hickson. 
really? which is completely illegal in all IBJJF yeah. tournaments. Two neck cranks right off the bat were from Hickson. But you mentioned the, the you lemon crusher from the mount, and then the stock, <laughs> the stock, the, the, the crucifix, the crucifix, yeah. uh, the crucifix to the neck crank, and uh, I was like, "That's really cool." Uh, it, it was more catch wrestling. It, it was from Hickson, but it was more like a catch wrestling move because they allowed the neck cranks. When did you meet up with Hickson first? Uh, I tra- started training with Voice and Orion in 1986. I started in their garage. Right. So 86 through 91, uh, I was with Hoist and Horian. Horian, then Hoist. And then uh, Higgin Machado came in and taught when Hoist couldn't be there, and I got to train with Higgin. And then uh, and then Hickson was teaching in his garage, and I was I was interested to compete and fight, so I wanted to, uh, and I had heard that Hickson had more fights and, and taught a little bit different. Uh, what Hoist taught was spectacular, and, and it was funny because back then a lot of guys wanted to get on the ground and learn the ground, but I'll tell you, I learned the whole self-defense, uh, Gracie self-defense system, all the standing stuff, yeah. which a lot of the guys don't have, and a lot of the a lot of the new sports jiu-jitsu guys don't have that. Yeah, and Dave, that, Burkett, Dave Burkett swears by it. Well, Terry that, Barnett swears well, by it. Well, now that you have a school... Uh, you're, now you got to go back and go, hey, does anyone know the Gracie self-defense system, which is basically uh, all the jiu-jitsu self-defense stuff. That's what jiu-jitsu was created for, it's self-defense. Yes. So a lot of people don't, didn't get that. Babalu was a sport jiu-jitsu guy, didn't get the, the self-defense system. I got that from Royce and Horian. Uh, and then and then I got on the ground with Hickson, and that was about 90. Uh, first private was 90, and then 91 through about 94, 95, I got to train uh, privately and then do privates with Hoyce Horian and then Hickson. Yeah, you, you see, one of my, uh, it's the only great fight story I've ever got, um, was in 2008, I went over to Seattle and went to the instructor conference with Rick Faye in Seattle. So my wife was giving me a hard time about going back over to go in the summer camp. And you were caught, it was Brock, Brock hadn't won the title, he was going up against Heath, Fre- Heath Herring. Uh-huh. Yeah, and we met up, and it's my only claim to fame, we went to the after show party afterwards, met up with Eric, we went out, had a couple of drinks, and it was myself, Eric, Egan, Greg Nelson, Tanya, Josh Siddiqui, if you're listening, Sid was with us as well, and it was a, it was a moment where we were, we were with, you know, Hanging out, with the, I was hanging out with the stars for an evening. Oh but yeah, I forgot cool. about that. Yeah, that was a great night, wasn't that it? That was in Minnesota. It was in Minnesota, in your hometown. That was when uh, That's right. Brock, Brock took Herring's back, jumped on him, and then started uh, doing the Texas Crazy Horse, spanking him on the ass. Well, like well, what happened? Well, Heath was talk a little bit, but yeah, there was always talk. And then they, they want to see like the the show stuff from wrestling, and and Brock already knew that he was the heel because he walked out. I was surprised too when Brock walked out. I thought everyone would cheer and everyone booed him. Wow! And you could see. I, I looked at Brock and I was like, "Well, that sucks." Because I could see Brock's face. He was expecting that everyone was going to be cheering. It's his home state, isn't it? Well, and then all of a sudden, everyone's like, "Boo!" You know, it's like, okay. So right off the bat, he knew he was the heel. He goes, "Either way, I'm going to put asses in the seats." People are going to come and watch me to lose. People are going to come watch me to win. He goes, either people way, I, I'm going to put people in this. Everyone wanted to watch Brock fight. 
either to win or to lose. But Brock, because he's an animal, he's a manimal, people wanted to do that. So it was amazing that uh, the camps that he put on, he spent a ton of money. Uh, and bring it, brought in some of the best guys in the world, best wrestlers from Minnesota and kickboxers from all over. And, and then uh, Marty Morgan, Greg Nelson, and I got to help run, and Caprito got to help run the, the uh, practice for, for Brock. Right. And, uh, you know, he, he was, at the time, when he was on a tear, when he first started getting in there, because you know, he went up against, he went up against Stoke, the best guys in the division at the time. That's right? right. And then they gave him the opportunity to fight Randy, and he jumped at that one. They said, hey, we want you to fight Randy. Would you be interested? And he was like, well, 100%. I, I, saw, I saw Brock right after that, and he was so happy that yeah. they were actually allowing him to have that opportunity. And, uh, you know, it's, it was hard for me because uh, Randy had been a personal friend for years. I had trained with him with uh, Rico Tipperelli and, and uh, just years of being friends and following his career. And next thing I'm standing across the cage from him and uh, trying to tell someone how to beat him. And it was stupid because, you know, I've always been Randy's fan. Yeah. And, but also a friend and, and uh, I really looked up to him. I don't know. I feel as though I've known Randy in the past life sometime really every time I see him I, I feel like I have a history with him somehow wow but uh, he's a great guy I remember you telling me once that some of the two wrestling I met that Randy Couture was there and was Kurt Angle there at the time but did you, was that was that a story you told me uh, at Brock's yeah Brock brought in uh, I don't know if he brought in Kurt but I know he brought in Randy right uh, he, he brought in a lot of different people he had Mark Kerr there for a little bit Mark Kerr yeah and how What's it? Mark Kerr showed up late and he just gave him a ticket and said, sorry, my training is at this time. If you can't show up at this time, I don't want you here. And then he said, here you go. Because it's Mark, I don't know, you're not listening to this. If you get a chance, uh, look at the smashing machine. Well, uh, Mark was kind of in that, in that spot where, now at that time, he was still a monster. Yeah. And uh, it was just kind of weird because Brock is a stickler on time. Yeah. And if you're not a half hour early, you're late. Really? Yes. Okay. If you walk in at ten fifteen, practice at ten thirty. I walked in at ten fifteen. He goes, "You're late." And wow. I go, "It's ten fifteen. He goes, "Yeah." And you'd be here at ten because guys got to, you know, take their time and use the restroom, put on their shoes, gloves. I mean, we start at twelve. I'm sorry, ten thirty on the spot, on the dot. Yeah. And when he's done, he's done, and he just makes sure that everyone's there early. Right. So you know, I started doing that with my team. And I said, if you guys walk in at 10.30, you guys are, you're not allowed to practice. Yeah. That means you're disrespectful. That well, means that, you, that you can't, if you can't show up, if you can't show up on time, I go, I need a text. If you're running late, you te- I need a text on my phone before 10.30. Oh. And then you just don't show up at 10.30 or 10.25. I, I actually, I, it's funny you say this. I actually ring, I, I ring my BJJ professor, you know, Simkin, if I'm running late. And I'm one of the only guys who does it, but it's because it has to be done out of, out of respect. Yeah. But the thing is, for fight practice, if you're a fight a pro fighter and you want to train on my fight team, you need to be there early, anyways, because you need to hit the road and run. I make my guys come in 45 minutes early and they run. They have to run two miles before practice every day. Wow. Everyone runs together. If you're not running, you're you're on the elliptical or you're on the jump rope. You gotta do something, eh? Yes, you have to run. You have to have a warm up. Then, then we do the warm-ups after that. 
So you got to warm up to warm up. Wow. Uh, how many how many times a week is Josh Barnett coming into you right now? Three. Three times. Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. Because he's an interesting guy, isn't he? Yes, he's very yeah. very cranial, super smart. Uh, does tons of research on every subject in the world. You could ask him anything, and he'll tell you an answer. Yeah. And, yeah, and uh, very technical. Uh, doesn't like to lose, so he's got that competitive edge. No matter what, he has to win. Even in practice, he has to win. So that attitude that he has, winning and winning and winning, it just he holds a very high standard for himself. Yeah, because... And that's why he's successful. Yeah, because you were... Uh, Famously, he, he gave him a black belt in BJJ by way of catch. Well, the thing yeah. is, is he, when, when he was supposed to fight Fedor, uh, he was in Japan getting ready for a match. Or he did, he did uh, pro wrestling, and uh, there's a thing called testosterone, testosterone 2200. It's a pill. It's a testosterone enhancer. It's not, it's not an actual steroid. It's an enhancer. Yeah. He, when he wrestles, he likes to take two of those because it kind of raises your testosterone for one day. Yeah. Raises your testosterone for a match. It's like taking a caffeine pill or something. Yeah. So anyways, he took that, and then he tested right after, and he tested dirty for, for Fedor. And so affliction got shut down. Yeah. So I trained him all the way up until the day before his fight for that. And I said, well, I go, here's the deal. You're angry, and you're in the shape of your life. I need you to. I need you to start booking yourself into all the grappling tournaments that are around. Yeah. So he went into three tournaments. The first one he just killed everybody. The second one, he went into the worlds and he beat uh, Bruno Palestra and uh, won the worlds. Which one was one where you? Then he, beat then he went into the California Classic. He went into the California Classic and it was a nogi, advanced nogi tournament. And so guys are called they're like who's competing and they go Josh and they're like oh so basically all the guys conspired to make it a gi tournament it was a no gi and they said oh we're going to make it a gi tournament yeah so Josh got there and they go this is a gi tournament not a no gi he said no on the flyer it says no gi they go yeah we, we've decided we've all conspired to change it and I, I told Josh I go Josh it doesn't matter it doesn't matter if you have a gi on or not I go you're as good as a grappler as you are with or without a gi on prove a point you're going to go out there and you're going to you're going to submit everybody and you're going to go out there and just try to tear stuff off people yeah i said to prove to people that that you're a great grappler regardless if you have a gi on or not yeah and so uh yeah he did great he beat first two guys and then uh and then uh he caught homolo's uh both of his legs both uh, i think uh, toe holds and then a knee bar and and uh they stopped them at the end of the match. They stood everybody up, and Homolo he hurt he hurt both of Homolo's legs. They stood up, and then they all got together and conspired. And they stood up, and then they raised Homolo's hand. Wow! So then Josh helped carry him off the floor because he could barely walk. So who really won? But, yeah, well, I, you won by advantage, but your your legs are your ankles are broken. Beat up, you know, and and in the black belt division, that should be legal. Yeah, they should even allow a heel hook in the black belt division, as far as these super tournaments go. Yeah, because all submissions should be legal, except finger digits. Yeah, you see, this is the thing. It's like a friend of mine, uh, 
I won't mention him just out of courtesy, but if you go on Facebook, you'll be able to find out. Black Belt, he's just been, he's just, he just got gringoed over there, and it was like, yeah, what do I have to do to beat this guy? You know what I mean? Um, and it, you know, it, the problem is, it just happens. You know, Josh Barnett is Josh Barnett at the end of the day. You know, the guys. Well, we do in, in practice. Day. In practice, we regularly in, in my gym in grappling in our grappling classes, which we have six days a week, no gi. We allow leg locks, wrist locks, neck cranks, chokes. We allow all that. Everyone has great control. Nobody ever gets hurt. No. Uh, as far as jiu-jitsu class goes with the gi, we don't allow leg. I just tell everyone, I go, don't even do leg locks. I go, you've got all the no-gi classes that we do with enough leg locks in. Uh, I want to see you guys submit everyone with arm locks and chokes. That's it. Yeah. I want to see your transitions, your sweeps, your reversals. I don't want to see any stalling. I want only attacks with the gi, but mostly chokes, strangles, and arm locks, and that's it. So, and when guys, even if they're like more advanced, they start going for legs, I go, why are you guys doing legs? Yeah. We have all no-gi classes you guys can do, it. I want to see jiu-jitsu. Yeah. Good, old, authentic jiu-jitsu. <laughs> you know what's funny is the, I was at the Worlds this year, and the picture for the Worlds, the picture that they have up on the screen for the Worlds is one girl knee barring another girl. That's world jiu-jitsu. Tur- jiu-jitsu. Wow. You know, when I first started training jiu-jitsu, knee bars weren't even, nobody even knew what they were, let alone were they legal. And then you got booed. I got booed in 96 for winning the Pan Ams with an Achilles lock. I won my <laughs> division, got a gold medal, and I Achilles locked the guy, and I nearly got booed out of the stadium after waiting eight hours, eight hours to compete. Wow. And so... You know, here, here it went from no nobody knowing leg locks. And then I gave uh, Hickson a tape on Shudo, and I said, hey, I want you to look at this. What do you think? And he said, there's two, there's a couple moves I really like, but I really love the knee bar. And I said, well, you love the knee bar? He goes, yeah, it's like, it's like uh, attacking an arm, a big arm. It's the same. <laughs> and it, to prove the point, he circled everyone up after I gave him the tape uh, over the weekend, and he submitted 30 guys in a row with a knee bar. Jesus. And he, and he kept looking at me and pointing or winking. And I sat there with my mouth open. He, he, yeah, Hickson really was that good, wasn't he? Yeah, yes, he was. So, yeah, a lot of people don't know that. He was spectacular. So, the thing that was funny, though, was that leg locks, nobody knew leg locks. And I was, I was still training in Shudo, getting ready to go to Japan. So I was learning all the leg locks, but more so learning how to counter the leg locks because all my opponents in Japan were great leg lock experts. So I became known as a leg lock guy only because I had to learn how to defend against them. And uh, it was funny because the first time I actually went for an Achilles lock in, in jiu-jitsu class, well, I actually asked Hoist. I remember asking Hoist, I said, hey, Hoist, what do you think about this? There's an Achilles lock, and he laughed. He goes, oh, I've never tapped to that. I don't even feel it. His ankles are also super flexible, and his toes point beyond yeah. uh, being... The range of motion. Yeah, yeah. range of motion. Yeah. So uh, then I put a, an ankle lock, an Achilles lock on, like three other guys after that, and they all tapped. But obviously on Hoist, it wouldn't work because he's too flexible. So he said, oh, I would never tap to that. It's very good, but it wouldn't work. So then so then I asked Hickson about, I said, can I ask you about the guillotine from wrestling? And he said, sure, show me. So I went in the turtle position, put a 
put a hook in, did a power half, put him on his side, uh, reached under his arm, grabbed his head, figure fought his leg, and did the guillotine, which is also known the Eddie Bravo Twister. Yes. And I said, would you ever tap from this? He goes, no way. This is a very good stretch. It reminds me of <laughs> yoga class. I go, so you'd never tap from something like this? He goes, no way. I go, so you don't think this is a valid submission? He goes, no. And it's funny because in wrestling, it's only used as a pin. It wasn't a submission. But it was Eddie Bravo that started using it uh, and, and getting submissions on guys. Uh, but is that a neck crank? Or is it a joke? It's more of a neck crank. Yeah. So neck cranks were actually allowed as legal back then a little bit. Well, did, yeah. So that's weird because it, it was yeah, a neck. Could, because it, It's a neck crank. You You're just, pulling the side of their yeah. head, your head sideways. It's not really a joke. It's a neck crank. So so uh, that's like doing the crucifix neck crank that I when, learned when did you meet When did you meet Eddie Bravo? Because he was with John Jack, right? Yeah. I uh, met him in like 94, 93, 94, 95. Uh, I started with the Machados in 90, I think like 94, 95. Um, yeah. I started with the Machados because I, well, I, I, fought in a, I fought in a bare knuckle fight and uh, a lot of the students at Hickson's were watching the fight and it was, it was actually, it was actually, uh, Enzo was on the card and I asked Hickson if it was okay if I fought, if I, I was going up for the commercial and I said, if if there's a chance that I, they offer a fight as an alternate, would it be okay if I actually took a fight? And my odds were really low, but one guy pulled out and they go, you're fighting. Yeah. And I was like, oh shit, I'm fighting. So I called Hickson, I called his wife Kim, and I said, hey, you guys, uh, I just want to ask you, is it okay if I do this event? Uh, I'm up for the commercial. I sh- I'm doing the commercial with Chad. And they asked if 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 we if they could use me as an alternate just in case. And I said to Nixon at the time, I said, if there's a chance for some reason I got lucky and got to the end and, and had to fight Henzo, I would take a bye. I wouldn't fight Henzo in that tournament just so I could continue to train with Nixon. He said, right. no problem. And Kim said, no problem. And then after that fight, all the students were talking smack, like, hey, yeah, I saw Eric fight in that event, the bare knuckle fight. He had two fights. What would have happened if he would have fought Henzo? And and they were speculating. And and then my friend was like, well, he didn't fight Henzo. And he goes, yeah, but what if? They go, well, there's no what if because he didn't fight him. And then I also said I would take a bye so I could continue to train with Hickson. And then I, all of a sudden, um, Hickson rode up on his bike one day when I went to practice. And he goes, yeah, now you're a pro. Maybe it's a good idea you don't train with me anymore. Wow. And so I was so bummed out. I was like, well, shit. Here's my idol, my grappling idol I'm looking up to. Uh, I'm happy to be a part of and learn from him. And all of a sudden he just comes up and says, sorry, you can't train with me anymore. That's it for today. On the next show, find out what all this is about. If you want to decalcify your third eye, I'll give you two, made three major things that will help it. Number one is chlorella and spirulina. Yeah, yeah. Okay, number two, don't take any fluoride or chlorine. So Ever. if you drink chlor- chlorinated water or fluoride-based water, 
Yeah. Or brush your teeth with fluoride toothpaste. It that helps calcify. Yeah. You can listen to all our interviews on MixedMartialArts.com. You can also subscribe to us on iTunes. Mixed Martial Arts is a Paint Your Headphones production. Wow.